Hey, Village Church, Pastor Michael here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. Uh, this sermon is from 2 Samuel chapter 23, and it is on David's mighty men. And even though this sermon applies to everyone, there is a, a special focus in this week's message on the men of the Village Church and all you men in podcast land. Don't forget that God is not finished with you yet. And all the men said, Ugh. <laughs> Ladies, do you ever look at stuff like this and think to yourself, why do men do this? Oh my goodness. Um, half the women here are shaking their heads in disapproval. Uh, have you ever asked yourself why men um, look at stuff like this and they get all pumped up. I mean, you got to admit, dudes, we are just so different than the ladies. And um, something happens to a group of men when they go to war, whether it is on the battlefield or the rugby field or the basketball court. There's something that happens inside of us. Our voice gets deeper. I mean, hair just suddenly starts growing on our backs. Um, our beards just get magically thicker. And we, for some reason, and no other context would do this except on the battlefield, we just start slapping each other's butt. And uh, one of the things I love to do whenever I'm on the basketball court is I just love to talk trash to all the guys. And uh, I know like half of you in this room, you are like the worst trash talkers on the planet. But here's what I want you to get. It is a man's impulse to fight and to protect alongside of brothers. It is the impulse of a man to fight and to protect alongside of brothers. This is a God-infused impulse. I mean, dudes love being on teams. We respond to battle cries. We are inspired by stories of bravery. Uh, and it's not that you ladies aren't. It's just different, we'll say, a little bit more intense. So every Sunday morning, um, you may not know this, but at 9.15, um, our um, uh, participants in the Sunday morning service, our worship team, our head usher, um, the person doing announcements, we get together in my office and we pray. And at the end, we all put our hands in the middle and we shout a word, a battle cry, every single week. And everybody walking down the hallways thinks we're insane. This morning, the battle cry was was furious and everybody just thought we were we were nuts but there's something inside of all of the guys that whenever we do that like we are pumped up for the morning and the girls always just kind of roll their eyes and say oh you silly you silly boys but here's what I want you to catch this is a God infused 
impulse. We love teams and battle cries and stories of bravery and brave heart and gladiator. And it's not that women don't. It's just that us men uniquely love this. Now, I love that God has um, biologically created us to be like this. There's this um, little hormone called testosterone that actually makes men like this. I mean, testosterone gives us body hair, uh, Adam's apples. Uh, It makes us taller. It gives us more muscle strength. And that God has wired into the very DNA of the males in this room to be more aggressive, to respond to stuff like this. This is a part of our wiring. I love even in the Bible as God names the man, he gives them my second favorite Hebrew word in the Bible. Here's the name for man. It's Ish. Ish. I love this. It's like the manliest word in the Bible. And what it means is strong. So that as God made the man physically, he looks at him and he says, you are strong. That's the way I've made you to be. And my favorite Hebrew word is the word for woman. Totally different. It is Isha. Isha. And I love this. This word means soft, so that as God made the female body, he looks at it and he says, you are soft, but you men, you are strong. You are ish. And I've yet to meet a man. I've yet to meet a man who says, I don't want to be strong. I want to be weak and soft. I mean, there's something inside of every man that says, I want to be strong. I want to be able to fight. Um, I especially love about dudes how competitive we are. Um, You may not know this, but I love to compete. It's actually probably um, a pretty big issue I have. Um, In fact, if I could just take a little caveat right now. Um, I will not arm wrestle Pasquale Silvaggio. I mean, his arms are as big as my head and he will destroy me. Why will I not arm wrestle him? Because I cannot win. I will not race our youth director, Matt Souls. I mean, the dude does triathlons in other countries and crazy things and I just won't even compete. I will not play golf with my father-in-law. He destroys me every single time. Drives me nuts. Um, But I would like to declare publicly, um, I will play the following individuals one-on-one in basketball anytime. Calvin White, Alex Dawson, Jonathan Thomas, Nate Wells, Peter Lewis, and I would like to throw a girl into the mix, Jennifer Anderson. I will take you one-on-one any day, anytime. She's actually a very, very talented basketball player. But let's transition, and I want to introduce you to a group of fierce warriors in the Bible that are called David's mighty men. David's mighty men. And this isn't just some random description, like there's some guys who are kind of strong, and so they're called David's mighty men. Here's what I want you to understand about David's mighty men. This is a team. This is a unit. This is a special ops force from the Israeli 
army. I want you to think of things like the Rangers, the Navy SEALs, the Green Berets. Like these are um, actual teams that you, ha- you can't just jump in. You actually have to be chosen. You have to be invited in. And so this was David's mighty men. That was the team, the special elite force, renowned group of fierce warriors that were not just feared in Israel, but were feared all over the known world. Now, there was another name for David's mighty men. They were also called the 30. And I want you to look in your notes and you'll see on there there's two breakdowns of David's men. There's the three, and the three were the fiercest of the 30, and they were the leaders of the 30. And the rest were just called the 30. And what we're going to watch is that um, what happens here is that Second uh, um, Samuel addresses first the bravery and the courage of the three, and then it um, describes some of the bravery and exploits of the rest. But here's, I, want, I don't want you to miss this. I want you to get the big picture. That God knows the hearts of men are inspired to bravery and courage and fearlessness by acts of bravery from other men. I love that God puts stories of war and blood and battle into the scriptures as if he knows that these will, in such a powerful and unique way, tap into the very heart of a man and inspire him. Um, I want you to get this, that God puts these stories in here so that dudes everywhere for all time will be inspired to greater acts of bravery. I also don't want you to lose something really, really, really important here, is that at the end of the day, every single man comes alive when he is able to follow a leader. It's almost as if we are created to be on teams and to have leadership. And what I want to submit to you and propose to you this morning is that Jesus is the greatest leader you could ever have. I want to submit to you this morning that Jesus is the greatest leader on the history of the world. That if you have never come to Jesus and obeyed his call to follow him and to trust in him, I just want to encourage you this morning. Um, There is nothing better than being a follower of the greatest leader ever, Jesus Christ. And my desire for each of the men and women and students and children in this room is that you would be mighty for your leader, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So look in your notes with me and you'll see that David's mighty men um, have four descriptions. And here's the first. David's mighty men are redeemed men. David's mighty men are redeemed men. And in your notes, here's what I want you to write. Once broken, now useful and powerful. Once broken, now useful and powerful. There was a day before these men were mighty. There was a day before these men were fierce. There was a day before these men did incredible acts of bravery. And I want you to turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2. And I want to give you an insight into the origins of these mighty men. 
And basically what's happening, the context of this is that we are in a season that we've called the exile of David. This is a season before David became the king where he is running for his life. It's a season of about 10 years where King Saul is hunting him down and David is in the wilderness, in the desert, running for his life, hiding in caves. But God sends a very unique group of people to follow David, fight for David, and protect him even when his life is in danger on the run. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2 says this, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 Men. My guess this morning is that the majority of you in this room are in debt, in distress, or you are bitter in soul. Some of you, your lives are falling apart around you, and you are thinking, I see no way out. Everything is struggling. My marriage is struggling. My kids are struggling. You are in distress. Some of you are in massive amounts of debt. And for this culture and this time, these men and women in debt, they had two options. Submit myself to slavery or flee and submit myself to David's leadership, live in caves and live on the run from King Saul. And these men looked at the two options and they said, I pick David any day of the week. I pick to follow David any day of the week. Some of you are bitter in soul. You are just shaking your fist at God. You are broken and you are angry and you are frustrated, God. You did not do this in my life. My life should have been easier. Why didn't you stop the following from happening? If you loved me, you would. Fist shake, fist shake, fist shake. And these are the kind of men that God wants to take and redeem and transform you to being brave and mighty and fierce warriors for the sake of Jesus Christ. Before the mighty men were mighty, they were broken. They were bitter. They were in in debt. They were in distress. And so this morning, some of you are thinking, okay, Michael, that's, that's cute, okay? How do I become mighty? If you saw my present life, you would say, you would see that there's no possible way. And I would say, you are right for the picking. You are right where God wants you. Jesus wants to intervene in your life and begin to transform your fear and your failure and your brokenness and your regret and start to transform you more and more into a mighty man or woman that God has created you to be for the sake of Jesus. The second thing we see is this. David's mighty men are brave men. In your notes next to brave, write the following. Bravery is the ability to overcome fear for a great cause. Bravery is the ability to overcome fear for a great cause. Bravery becomes stupidity when it's for a terrible cause, when it's for a stupid reason. But when there is a great, noble cause bigger than yourself and you take big risks for the sake of that cause, that is called bravery. And David's mighty men are incredibly brave. So what I want to do right now is introduce you to the three um, chiefs or leaders of the entire 30. And the first one in 2 Samuel 23 verse 8, his name is Joseph, not Joseph, 
Joseph, and he is the chief of the three. Read with me in verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men of David. Joseph, he was, a, he was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. I just I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to think about this. They're in some kind of battle. And what we saw with each of the mighty men, we're going to see this in a minute, is that everybody has this tendency in the Israelite army to flee when things get a little bit difficult. But what sets the mighty men apart from everyone else is their bravery, their ability to overcome their fear. Let me say it even this way. Their ability to believe God's promises despite what they see in front of them, despite the obstacles in front of them. Um, They believe that the Lord said, if you fight for me, I will fight for you. The victory is yours. And so I want you to imagine this, that Joseph is sitting there and all of his army is fleeing and the Philistines are in front of him and there's 800 of them. Now, what what do most men do in this circumstance? They run the opposite direction when you're outnumbered. Now it is 800 to 1. He picks up his sword and says, I would rather die believing in the promises of God than run the opposite direction uh, uh, with a bunch of weak sauce men. And so he gets up and the Lord supernaturally empowers this man and he takes down 800 hundred people. I imagine all of the Israelite army, they turn around and they're like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? This guy is nuts. He is going crazy one after another after another. And then all of the men turn around and they say, let's go. And his bravery inspires an entire army to turn around and to be the men that God has created them to be. In First uh, Chronicles, uh, there's another list of the mighty men of David. And in this list, it's said that Joseph did this again, but the second time he killed 300 men. I mean, if you told me it was one man on 10, I would say, that's a mighty man. But now we get this mighty warrior, and it's one on 300. It's one on 800. This guy's bravery and ferocity and trust in the Lord put him into the position of chief of the mighty men of David. And I think Joseph understood something, is that leaders lead by example. They go first. They fight the hardest. They sacrifice the most. It is in the DNA of a leader to do this. He fought. I love this. The second of the three, his name was Eliezer. And in verse 9, it says this. And next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the son of Elahi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines, who were gathered there for battle. Now listen to what all of the army of Israel did. They see the uh, powerful opponent of the Philistines, and it says this, the end of verse 9, and the men of Israel withdrew. The men of Israel withdrew. On the other hand, Eliezer, he would not withdrew. He believed the promises of God. Here's what it says. Eliezer rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung 
to the sword. If you have ever jet skied for any period of time, you're holding on for dear life and you can barely get your hand off the grip when you're done because you're squeezing so hard. I mean, this guy is seeing all of his army flee in the opposite direction. He's watching all of these lame, weak guys not believe the promises of God, give up the opportunity to see God do great things. And he says, you know what? No, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight. And if I'm going to die in the process, I would rather die believing Believing in the promises of God, then run the opposite direction and live a life of failure. And so he gets up, and I love he just keeps fighting and fighting and fighting. And this is showing that he just gives everything he has because he truly believes in the promises of God. And then here's what happened. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And here's what happens to the men. And the men returned after him only to strip the slain. I love this, that his bravery and his courage um, in the face of all of his men flying the opposite direction, in the face of Philistines onslaughting, terribly, terribly fearful, um, forced to, to confront. And he says, I believe what God's word says. I'm going to go into the battle into the difficulty, and I would rather die there than live in failure. The third of the three is Shammah. Verse 11, next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. All right, who here loves lentils? I, I love lentils. Let me, let me tell you this. Um, when uh, lentils are an Indian food, absolutely adore them. Right? I would fight for a field of lentils. I don't know about you, but I would do that. So here's what happens. Um, verse 11. There was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. Do you, do you see what sets apart the mighty men from all the other men? While all of the men flee and they run towards fear and weakness and they sit there and they just watch TV and play video games and waste their life and take the easy way out and run away from things that are difficult and hard despite the glory that comes with running into the difficult things, the mighty men step up and say, I will not go in that direction. I will go in a different direction. I will follow God where he leads. I will believe him and take him at his words. I will fight even if it costs me my life. And so while the men fled from the Philistines in verse 12, it says this, but he, Shammah, took his stand in the midst of the plot of lentils and he defended it and he struck down the Philistines and the Lord worked a great victory. Imagine he sits there and he says, you know what, you all may be running, but these are the Lord's lentils. And they might just be lentils, but they are God's. And I am commissioned to defend and to protect God's country. And I will stand here and fight to the death despite what all of my men do. We need to go down with me to verse 18. This is chief of the 30. His name is Abishai. It says this, now, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was the chief of the 30. Now, what this means is that there was the three, but then the rest of the 30 had their own chief, and that is Abishai. And he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name 
beside the three. It's almost as if um, the three were already taken, but Abishai was such an amazing warrior that he could have been one of them. And it says in verse 19, he was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. I love this. Just like everyone else, Abishai gets a place with David's mighty men because despite what everyone else does around him, he walks into the difficulty believing the promises of God and he does this with bravery. 300 men. That's unbelievable. Now in verse 20, we meet Benai the valiant. This guy, I'm just going to be straight with you, He's my favorite. I think this guy is so cool. Here's what it says in verse 20. And Benai, the son of Jehoiada, Jehoiada was a priest, so Benai could have gone into the ministry to be a priest. That was probably what he should have done. But he says, you know what? I want to go fight. I want to go battle and go to war. And here's what it says of him. He was a valiant man of Kebzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two Ariels of Moab. Now, now here, here's the challenge. We don't know exactly what Ariels are. There's two major options. Ariels come from a word that means lion. So it could be he was in the area of, lion, of Moab and there were two lions and he's like, guys, I got this under control. I'll take down the lions easy. Most likely though, the Ariels were a special elite force of Moabites that were terribly feared by everyone. So to kill one of them is a big deal, but to kill two of them is an even bigger deal. Now, I imagine that Benhi just goes up to these fierce warriors, and everybody is just watching him, and he takes these guys down, stands toe-to-toe, face-to-face with them, because he is a brave, fierce warrior. But not just this. It goes on. It says this. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when the snow had fallen. Okay, let me just, let me just ask you a question. Uh, how many of you in this room would jump into a pit on a snowy day with a lion? Anybody? I, I imagine David says, um, all right, dudes, we got a problem. There's a lion in a pit, and someone's need to get, someone needs to go in and get it out. Benny I says, King David, I got this one down jumps into the pit, Rah, wrestle, wrestle. Seven seconds later, you see blood splurting everywhere. He lifts up the head of the lion. He's like, Rah! and all the men said, Ugh, you know, and all of David's men are just like, did you just see that? Benny, I jumped into a pit with a lion on a snowy day, and he killed it. I mean, this guy's reputation is awesome, but he's not done yet. In verse 21, it says, and he struck down also on top of the aerials of Moab, on top of the lion in a snowy pit, says he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. Now, uh, it's, it's, it's super easy to kill a model. Let's be honest, okay? Anybody could kill a model. Um, probably this is not trying to describe the fact that he was just good-looking because what the authors are trying to do is to show you the power and the strength and the bravery and the ferocity of these mighty men. Most likely, this is a euphemism for um, he was very tall, huge, large, fierce warrior. And so here's what happens. The Egyptian, who is a fierce warrior and kind of good-looking, he had a spear in his hand. And I imagine David says, someone's, someone's got to go fight the Egyptian. Who wants to do it? Benny says, I'll do it. And he says, what do you have to fight? A club. 
Sounds good. Go do it. And Benny I just runs up, and he runs up to this Egyptian, takes the spear out of his hand, stabs him in, and it's like, ah! Everybody's just shouting and chanting. And, and, and I got to imagine at some point, there's a little bit of overcompensation in Benny I. I mean, he just keeps seeming to do the most unnecessarily um, difficult things. But man, this guy is fierce. And so here's what it says. Benny I went down to the Egyptian with a staff. And he snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. And these things Benai, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three. If you're David and you see somebody with such bravery, what do you do? Well, here's what he did. And David set him over his bodyguard. I love this. David says, Benai, you're sticking with me, okay? Um, you're in charge of my life, okay? Because there's a lot of people who want the king dead, but you are amazing. You, you kill lions with your bare hands. I mean, you were just an amazing warrior, so David keeps him close. Now, I want to ask a question. I want to break this down. Where does this type of bravery come from? Where does this type of bravery come from? It comes from a firm conviction, not just in your head, but in your heart, that there is more to this world than this present life. Now, most of you know that in your head, but bravery on this level comes from a heart that is absolutely convinced that whatever I lose here for the sake of Jesus, it will be better there. That somehow when I close my eyes for the last time, that what I will experience when I wake up will be infinitely better than what is here. A, a heart that will do brave things believes at its core the most important things in your life are not the size of your home, how much money you have in your bank account. Even more pressing for some of us in this room is what the people you love think about you and your faith and your devotion to Jesus Christ. The heart that is brave loves to please and to fight for the name of Jesus Christ more, more than it wants to make other people happy, more than it wants to preserve their present standard of living. David Livingstone was a missionary pioneer in Africa in the 19th century. And uh, he uh, received a letter from some friends, and here's what the letter said. We would like to send other men to you. Have you found a good road into your area yet? David Livingstone responds with um, an amazing letter. He writes, If you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. Ugh. And all, this, all the men said, amen. I love this, that David Livingstone understands uh, what's going on. 
There are so many reasons not to follow Jesus. There are so many buts. But, 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 but what about my job? But what about people, what people think about me? But what about what my family will think about me? But what about all the stuff I have to take care of? But what will that mean if I tithe? What will that mean if I do this? What will that mean if Jesus is first? What if he asked too much of me? But, 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 but there are a thousand buts that stand between you and running into the promises of God and following Jesus and believing him and taking him at his word. And David Livingstone understood this. I want somebody who's going to follow me who has no buts, who will not come up with any excuses. Jesus in Matthew 8, uh, I want to just read you an interaction that he had with some people. It says this, and a scribe came up to Jesus and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responds elusively, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. If you're going to follow me, you're not going to have a home. And then it goes on. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my dead. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Here's what he's saying. There is always something more emotionally pressing that you have to do before you get your life right with Jesus. And he's looking at all of these men and saying, stop with the butts. Give up the butts. Weak men, weak women, uh, weak sauce people, they give all the butts. Be strong. Be mighty. Be brave. Get rid of all of the butts and follow me. And here's what Jesus would want everyone to know. It is infinitely better to follow Jesus and lose everything than to keep everything and postpone Jesus. I've yet to meet somebody who has truly followed Jesus Christ and said, I regret giving him the best of my life. Number three, David's mighty men are loyal men. Next to loyal, write this. Faithfulness to a person and a team despite the personal cost. Faithfulness to a person and or a team despite the personal cost. Have you ever noticed that men have a unique disdain for traitors, detractors, snitches, and anything that smacks of disloyalty? Um, Ladies, when I ask guys, what do you love most about your wife? the majority of the time, the answer comes back to something that points back to the issue of loyalty. Uh, You know, she's been with me this far. She hasn't left me yet. I can't believe she puts up with me. That there's something about every single guy that when he looks at his wife and he says, oh my goodness, like you know me. My weaknesses, my um, stupidity, my history, the secret parts of my heart. And when a woman looks at a man and sticks with him despite himself, that man will give that woman incredible loyalty. It's unbelievable that for men, this is one of the most powerful attributes, powerful things that a wife can give to her husband is total loyalty despite who the guy might be. Like, even my daughters, I find this, this is kind of um, frustrating. My um, middle daughter, Avia, will always tell on her sister. Elliot did this, Elliot did that. And I'm always saying, stop, stop telling on your sister. What are you doing here? And then I think to myself, wait a minute, 
tell on your sister because I don't want you to team up. But don't tell on her. What are you, what are you, what are you doing here? And there's something inside of me that says, be loyal. Like you guys are, you're a team. You're sisters. You sleep in the same bedroom. You're always together. Like stick up for each other. Don't just throw each other under the bus. And then I thought to myself, but if you guys don't tell on each other, then um, I'm never going to know what's really going on. So keep telling on each other, but I don't respect it or something like that. Um, it's really just a funny circumstance in our home. But um, you'll find David's muddy men had loyalty in three directions. Number one, they were loyal to God. First Corinthians 11.10, I want to read to you. This is the description, um, the introduction to David's mighty men in First Chronicles 11. Now these are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord. What drove David's men to be loyal to David? Especially, we're going to find out in a little bit, David did some pretty terrible things to his mighty men. What was it about these guys that they gave David their full loyalty despite David's character flaws? I'll tell you what it is. Before they were loyal to David, they were loyal to God. Before they were loyal to David, they were loyal to God. I love that the, fact, the fact that my wife has stuck with me. But if my wife is sticking with me because first and foremost she's loyal to me, when I am bad enough, that loyalty will end. But here's what I know. My wife, she sticks with me because her first loyalty is to Jesus Christ. When she married me, she looked at Jesus and she said, Jesus, despite who this man becomes and what he does, I will stick with him till death do us part. That her loyalty to Jesus is the basis and the foundation of her loyalty to me. And without that, this is the reason why so many marriages end because they're loyal until, until the person doesn't meet a certain set of expectations. But when somebody gives their loyalty to Jesus Christ first and when they promise in a covenant of marriage to be loyal to him first, they will stick with their husband or with their wife because and for the sake of God. But here's the second um, avenue direction of their loyalty. They were loyal to David. I want to read to you this really interesting story. It's in uh, 2 Samuel 23. Go back there with me. Verse 13. And the three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, which basically means we're back again in the exile of David. Um, they're running for their life. David's in a cave, and he is so thirsty. And you know what David and his thirst wants? Water from the well of the town he grew up in. Here's what it says. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines were at Bethlehem. Where's David from? Bethlehem. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Now, David is not asking anybody to do it. He's probably just complaining and saying, oh, I would just love some water there. And his three mighty men hear this, and they love David with a fierce loyalty because of their loyalty to God. And I imagine they get together and they say, did you guys hear what David wants? We gotta do this. 
Like this would make him so happy. Like we, our job, God has commissioned us to be loyal to this guy and protect him and defend him, but let's go above and beyond. And so these guys get the idea that they are gonna go to Bethlehem where the Philistines are stationed and these three men are going to fight. They're gonna break their way through and they're gonna get David the water that he needs. Here's um, what it says in verse 16. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and they carried it, and they brought it to David. So this is what I'm thinking the whole time when I'm reading this. Okay, um, you got two guys fighting, one dude carrying a jug, and like, have you ever tried carrying a jug very far, especially through battle? Like, water is spilling everywhere, and they finally get it to David, and they say, David, we have an amazing present from you. And they put it before him, and he is blown away, totally shocked. In verse 16, it says this, But he, David, would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord, and he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. I love David's heart. David looks at this and he says, this is loyalty that is beyond anything I've ever seen. Uh, And David says, steps back and says, God, um, this is because you have worked in the hearts of these men. Lord, you have worked in their hearts and you have surrounded me and protected me and in the most frustrating and difficult season of his life to date, running for his life from King Saul, the Lord surrounds him with these mighty men to love him and encourage him and protect him. And David just steps back and he relishes the moment and he says, thank you, Jesus. Their loyalty to me is because of their loyalty to you and this is an act of worship that I want to give back to you. Absolutely beautiful. Their third direction of loyalty was loyalty to one another and to the team. You look at verse 9. It's talking about the second of the chief of the mighty men. And it says, and next to him. Verse 11, it says again, and next to him. That the picture of these guys is that they are together. They are a unit They are a team. They are unified. They fight with a purpose, with the same mission. They root for each other. David's mighty men understood something powerful. We are together. They were a team and a force to be reckoned reckoned with. They were called out as a group to fight some of the most difficult and challenging battles in front of them. They were loyal, loyal, loyal. Number four, David's mighty men were empowered men. David's mighty men were empowered men. What is God constantly saying to his people? Three things. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. And here's what he says. Why? Because I'm with you always. Because I'm with you always. David was supposed to be the leader of this 30. 
And David was supposed to be with them always, leading with the most amount of bravery, leading with the most amount of passion, which is why we can understand a little more clearly why when he did not go to the battlefield in the Bathsheba incident, this was a huge deal because David wasn't being the leader he was supposed to be. But Jesus steps back and he says, be brave. I see there are fearful things in front of you. Don't be afraid. I am with you always, always. And believe in your gut, in the very soul of your being. Believe that whatever you might lose now is worth it later. You will look back on whatever loss you have incurred now and you will say, I would have given that up a thousand times over when you see what God has prepared for those who love him. In verse 10, after Eliezer struck down um, the Philistines and his hand was clinging to the sword, it says this, and the Lord brought about a great victory. I mean, who did this? I mean, Eliezer did it, but who did it? The Lord did. So that when Eliezer steps back at the end of the day, and even though the Lord is lifting up his courage and his bravery, at the end of the day, who really did this? The Lord brought about a great victory for Israel that day through these mighty men. With Shammah on verse uh, uh, 12, he was defending the plot of a ground full of lentils, and it says this, and the Lord worked a great victory. I mean, who stood their ground? It was Shammah. He defended the plot of lentils. But who empowered him to do it? It was God himself. And God steps back at the end of the day and says, I will give you what you need to do what I've asked you to do. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. I am with you wherever you go. I'm going to close and give you two um, major encouragements. Here's the first. Being mighty for Jesus is worth it. I want you to catch this. Being mighty for Jesus is worth it. You will never regret giving your best to following Jesus Christ. Number two, I think God loves when people follow broken but called leaders. I want to make something clear at this point. This is not about me as the lead pastor, because 95% of you are not directly led by me. You have a community group leader, an MD whose uh, team you're on, that's a ministry director. You're serving in Awana or VBS or egg hunts or Christmas gift marts or children's ministry or worship ministry or men's ministry or women's ministry or counseling. The list goes on and on and on. And we have set this place up to run in teams. And I think God loves when people follow broken but called leaders. We have so many men and women in this church who are called into different positions of ministry. And I think when we have the privilege and opportunity to uphold that, to believe them, to encourage them, to pray for them, uh, it invigorates them. And you know what that causes them to do? To give their best for the people they lead. And I think what's really, really neat is that God just loves this and he lifts up the mighty men and says, here's what bravery looks like. But I want you to catch this. They did this for Jesus and because of their love for Jesus, they did this for David. And despite David's 
problems and struggles. They stuck with him. They stuck with him. I want you to look with me at the very last name in verse 39 of the list of David's mighty men. Who, who is it? It's Uriah, Bathsheba's husband whom David killed. Also in this list is Bathsheba's dad and grandpa. Now at this point, all the mighty men should be looking at each other and saying, well, if he did it to Uriah, he'll do it to us. If he did it to Uriah, he'll do it to us. We should all leave and start a coup. We should follow Absalom and his rebellion or go someplace else. And they don't. They don't. Because they understood something. David might be broken. David might struggle. But this is who right now God has called and put into leadership. And we're going to follow them. And I would just love to see continually more and more the teams that are all over the village church grow in their love for each other and their grace for one another because of our loyalty and love to Jesus Christ. Well, as we close, I want to pray. And I want to go before the Lord and ask him to do what only he can do in our hearts. Um, Father, I just um, thank you that you love the men and women and students and children of the Village Church. Thank you that you have died for us. You are the most fierce warrior we have ever seen. You stood face to face under the wrath of your father and persevered. You go toe to toe with Satan and destroyed him. You faced death and conquered it. You took on the full weight of our sin and destroyed it. Father, I just thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is the greatest leader who has ever existed. I thank you that he is worth following and there are no regrets. I pray particularly and especially for the men of the Village Church. Lord, would you redeem us and empower us? Would you take us who are in distress and who are broken and who are in debt and who are frustrated and who have broken marriages and broken children and would you redeem? Would you make new? Would you make useful and purposeful what is now broken? We pray this and we beg you to do this because I know man after man after man in this room feels like they have hit a wall and need your help and intervention. Lord, I pray for the ladies and the students and the children that we would grow to be fierce and strong and brave for the sake of Jesus Christ despite the cost because we believe what you have promised us. Lord, I pray that you would do in us what we cannot do ourselves. And we pray this in the powerful, redeeming, empowering name of Jesus. Amen. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. 
by all that you hold dear. On this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West! First Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. But let all that you do be done in love. Village Church, thank you for worshiping with us this morning.